Hello. Welcome to the Care Exchange, the Skills for Care podcast for managers from social care. I'm Pia Rafter Burton. And I'm Ali Rusbridge. So today we're going to be talking to Sanjay Dorona. Now, Sanjay has a rather unusual introduction into social care. He started his career in hospitality and event management, and his clients included music professionals, TV personalities, and even members of the royal family. Uh, his father owned several hotels and one care home called the Close Care Home. And in 2015, the Close was unfortunately rated inadequate, and Sanjay was asked by his father to fix it for a three-month period. But five years later, the Close was rated outstanding by CQC and he's still at the Close today as the managing director. And the Close is a multi-award winning nursing home for 90 older people, um, some with dementia. Yeah, so looking forward to talking to Sanjay about his incredible journey into social care. So on with the show. Welcome, Sanjay, to the Care Exchange. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, really excited to, to talk to you. Uh, lots of questions and lots of things we want to explore. Um, just to sort of start with, obviously, we heard in, in the introduction there your remarkable journey into social care and, and about your previous career in hospitality and events management. Were those sort of transferable skills that you found really useful when you first started managing the close? Absolutely. I think it is so important for people sort of in the real world to realise that social care just uses every single skill that I developed when I was in a different career. Um, Because it's so interesting that people don't realise, they think that you have to be a nurse Mm. or be this unskilled, low-skilled worker, and I'm doing that in acronym, those like little finger finger speech marks, because it's just odd. It's this is just an amazing place to be, an amazing industry with such brilliant people. And I always describe it as a hotel, basically, that people go to die yes. in the nicest way possible. We have the privilege and the honor to provide compassionate and beautiful level care whilst being in a hospitality setting, essentially. So every single thing that I learned in, whether it was in my degree, when I was at Brooks, all the way through to working at the law firm and thinking about interesting ways to engage people is completely transferable. So when we were working and trying to create sort of exciting concepts around gala dinners or or client receptions, and you're like, right, what can we have as an activity at the reception to attract the clients to attend and thus build better relationships with the law firm? Yeah. We would we would look and say, right, do we want to do, you know, do we want to have this sort of activity in the background or do we want to do it in a golf golf day or do we make it an experiential event um, so people could really do those relationship developing tools, which is where the business would come from at the end. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So now when we're doing client activities or resident activities, it's starting to think, right, what will they benefit from? What will they gain? Where's their experience? And yeah, we use it all the time. So we do it, whether it's a care intervention and what's going to make that intervention better and what um, resources do we have available and how do we use them smart um, in, a, in a smarter way. Yeah. And do you think when you're then recruiting staff, are, are, are you sort of kind of targeting people who've who worked in hospitality because they're going to have some of those skills as well? 
we don't in in that sense i think it's really interesting we don't target a particular group we what that means is we understand that even if you've been in retail you're going to have some transferable skills even if you've been you could have been a banker and there'll be transferable skills um what's really interesting is neil eastwood who is a remarkable speaker and i'm sure you've heard of him but he does these amazing sessions and he really brought me on to the onto the gospel of values-based recruitment Mm. and it was really really important for us when we realized that understanding first of all that we can have people with zero experience because i still find there are care homes where it's like oh well this person's never been a carer before they're not going to do it well we're not privileged enough to have spare carers that are constantly looking for other jobs we need to take people from other industries um and teach them and actually that's what's interesting so if they've got the right values they will do a good job the fundamentals of manual and handling, washing and dressing, you know, and taking care of residents and interactions with people that live with Alzheimer's and dementia. We can teach all of those things, but the values I can't. So what we like to do is we, we are fully, 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 you know, the choir when it comes to preaching about, um, the, the, the benefits of values-based recruitment. And that then goes back to your values as an organization. So it's a very chicken in the egg situation. Mm, True. Yeah, absolutely. The close went from inadequate to outstanding in five years, which is like, you know, a, 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 not very long for such a dramatic, such a dramatic change. What were the main sort of things that you changed when you came into that to, to, to the close and, and thought, well, I've got to make some major changes here? If I could, if I could describe it in a way that was to say we took something going completely in the wrong direction and had to put the brakes on to a 3.10 in the middle of the road and then drive it in the other opposite way. Um, What we really did was rip the whole place apart, to be completely honest. There was no easy way to do it. And it wasn't one fundamental, one, one core thing, the fundamentals of the, of, of the, of the service and the way that we did things changed. Um, Mm -hmm. It it was in that changes how we got there in the first instance, but it was more about sort of bringing it back <clears throat> and explaining to people that re- it was re-understanding those values and those the core mission and what was our vision and how did we want to do it? And that sounds so um, like I've been drinking the Kool-Aid. You know <laughs> what I mean? It sounds like such a set of tropes to say, oh yeah, do you know what your vision is and your mission and values? <laughs> But it really did fundamentally mean. So what happened was because I was um, an embodiment of these values and our values are that we are essentially a very small family owned and operated care home. We don't have this huge back office supply. So, or, or, you know, a huge head office where everything's done and then transferred over to the care home to operate. What we realized is that every single person has as much of an impact or that potential to make that impact on the quality of life for the residents. So our logic was that everyone needs to be involved. Um, Everyone needs to be accountable. There was a huge issue with um, blame culture Mm. and responsibility and people shying away from it because they knew that if they raised their head above the parapet that right they were in for it should something happen and things were going to happen because of where it was 
in in its journey. So, so was this need to change the culture one of the reasons that you have now got two registered managers? I mean, that's really unusual, isn't it? You've got two. Is that was that part of the change you were making? Yes. So I think that agility is really important. So what we did was realistically using those transferable skills that I learned in hospitality. The what we saw is in a, for example, if if we were in a hotel or an event or any other bit of the world except social care, you would have the right people in the right job doing the right thing. Yeah. Right. For some odd reason, social care has developed into this world where you're putting people who are not really qualified into the wrong role into those roles so um i have a lot of time for those people that work in the industry because they do it with the right heart and the right mindset and they're doing it for the right reasons what's incorrect is when we as an industry and the leaders in this industry aren't really upskilling those people in the right ways mm-hmm. we're allowing things to grow organically and sometimes ironically interventions are needed to make sure that you're giving those people the right tools and i find that's where we as leaders in the industry fail often yeah. so um what was happening in my mind as a complete new entrant into the sector was many many years ago these wonderful nurses qualified as nurses within the nhs or through you know through the education system and then they came into social care and they worked hard and they had all of the right goals and then very very slowly they climbed up the ranks and went mm. to mat- matron and then the duty manager and the and the and the deputy sorry and then or the clinical lead and finally 20 or 30 years after qualifying as a nurse and still having all of those beautiful caring visions they are now in charge of a home now what does that person understand of um what is it, pat testing or legionella's testing or the um extraction of the vents in the kitchen <laughs> what do they understand about you know they can let's say they can get their mot's done but do they understand the value of making sure the vehicle maintenance is done in the right way on the on mm. so all of those sort of practical examples these these people are still excellent at delivering wonderful care the idea of the two manager system came from that Yeah. Um so actually it was three managers. So we had two clinical um managers and one non-clinical services manager. So the non-clinical services manager handled everything. So the receptionist, the re- um the receptionists, the kitchens, the hairdressers, housekeeping, laundry yeah. maintenance. Yeah. But, so, so they did they all would, the operational absolutely absolutely procurement as well. Yeah. because again as a small owner operator we don't have the head office that's yeah. procuring for yeah. us and managing those contracts we were doing it all on site and it yeah. could have got very very expensive yeah. so we would do all of those sorts of things now that was that but the clinical services managers by having two where with 90 beds they were roughly in charge of 45 each so i think right. it was um i think it was 53 and 37 just right. because of the way of the layout yeah. Now what would happen with those beds which is really really interesting is that the those managers worked as internal quality assurance. Yeah. So yeah. they could be tasked at any given time like I could come in and say great you're wiping your calendar clean today and I want you to go into a full assessment of 
medicines on that side of the home. And they would both quality assure each other. And also it meant that when you were on holiday as a registered manager, you were on holiday. Yeah, yeah, that's really important. And your outstanding rating was in all kind of five domains. Wow. People are always really intrigued about these sort of kind of preparation, you know, evidencing and all those things. What what were the things that you did? What, what were the key things you did to prepare for that inspection? The So for, the, the irony is the, the, the key thing that we did was actually get, we were outstanding in yeah. that sense. Right. So we had we were confident in our approach and we were we we had a belief in the way that we were doing things. Mm. And we knew some of the things that we were doing were quite different in terms of resident empowerment, in terms of, you know, the way that we we, we provide experiences and intervention. So our, our the, the key thing is, yes, we were actually doing what we were saying we were doing in terms of preparing having everything available ready and that want and will to be transparent was so important Mm. um i think that knowing that even if they did find something there was no fear around it um it was making sure that we had um our folders prepared so i'm quite an advocate for um what i call my wins folders so some people operate in a so what they what the CQC have told me previously is that they come in looking for good. Yeah. yeah. They come in looking for good. And if you're outstanding, they need to see it and you need yeah. to show it and you need to really push it down their throats. Yeah. Um so I had no problems in doing that. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not shy in coming forward. So the way that I do it is I have something called an outstanding folder or my wins folders and anything that I ever see in our service that I consider to be a win or yeah. evidence of outstanding practice. Um, we write a, uh, almost like a one pager on it. And the important thing is we don't, unlike other homes, pre-specify where we think that that sits within the Chloe's. Yeah. So some homes will have a safe folder, responsive yeah. and effective. Yeah. We have one, we have, we have several folders because um, it was three ring binders, eight lever arch folders worth of evidence that we wow. presented. Um, and mo- most importantly, those, we are not going to tell the inspector where we think that we think that they qualify. Let I'll let them make the decision. Yeah. They've got to earn. You know, we pay them a lot to do, <laughs> to, go, to to come and inspect. I'm going to let you work for your money. Yeah. Right. Um, so I we put down the story of what it is. Now, most importantly, what the CQC are looking for is the evidence that this is having an impact on the quality of life for the resident. Until it has an impact on the quality of life, it's good. Yeah. And so that's what we were able to display. Now, this was a transferable skill I learned from writing awards when I was working in the hospitality sector and for the events. My one of my first bosses taught me how to do this because she because she was she was one of the leaders in, in the events world. And she had entered the awards. And when she was working in PR, she explained how to write this. So this was a PR skill that I had. So what we would do is we would explain where what the change why was it needed 
what we did, how we did it, and most importantly, the impact on the quality of life for the residents. So we have four sections. That goes into the folder with all of the supporting evidence, be it photographs, charts, um, metrics, if we're talking about slips and trips or um, any accidents and learnings, weights. And, Mm. you know, it could be that we change this person's food and how did we we changed it because we wanted them to put on weight and we've actually seen the weight increase but yeah. that's that weight increase is good mm. yeah. when does it become outstanding it becomes outstanding it's because the person's put on weight and actually now they're engaging with more social activities yeah. they're they're happier to come out of their room and meet residents and friends and family yeah. they take that's when you made the difference to the quality mm. of life it's really interesting because quite often we talk about evidence folders but what you started with that statement that it's it's not just about the evidence it's about knowing you're delivering outstanding care and is that something you felt the whole team knew and understood yes you- everyone was so proud my dad told me when when we discussed me coming into the service to help, which was for three months initially, mm-hmm. he said to me, whatever you do, go to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, again, a fundamental value thing, which is just do it properly, mm-hmm. right? Do it properly. He said, if you, if, we, if you don't make that tiny bit of profit, that's fine, but do it properly because that will mean that you sleep at night. And I think yeah. the team understood that and they really bought into that idea that actually if we do something, where's the benefit now or where's the, who's the benefit for? And actually if it doesn't benefit the residents, we get nothing from it because we're here to service them and their needs as well as their stakeholders. And if we don't do it well enough, we're the ones that are going to worry about it. So having that process and making sure that we're delivering it in an outstanding way, absolutely. So that team were really on the journey with us and everyone was so invested in making sure. And that went down from our facilities manager or the gardener um, all the way up to our clinical lead and our managers. Can I just go back to that um, template you were talking about? Um, your outstanding one-page template. So do you have, and this is very like a very practical, but I know that this is what anybody who's listening would find this really useful. Do you almost have a good folder with all the, this is what we have to do, and then an outstanding folder as a, as a, as a this is all the added extra, or is it just all in one and it's filling space to say, well, this is outstanding and this is good? Chris precisely it's the second option let the inspector do that work because if you find so the first thing is obviously what relationship have you fostered with your inspector from the beginning it is important you know everyone says it we don't get me wrong when we're inadequate you know we had a challenging time however it was our inspector that really engaged with us and was prepared to answer the phone and and I would run things past them because remember, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I had zero, <laughs> zero clue. Yeah. So we used to, I used to call, call the inspector and be like, right, what can we do? How can we do it? And she's like, I, she would tell me, this isn't my job. I can't tell you what to do. No. And I was like, right, I understand that. But if I did this, would this be acceptable? They're like, yes, it would. <laughs> yes, that, that, yeah. and, and I sort of, I, I would wangle an arms around <laughs> of a situation that would help me understand that whether I'm being insane, because again, yeah. I was terrified. Yeah. I'm in this new regulated sector. You know, the biggest regulator I had in hospitality yeah. was the environmental health officer. 
Um, but this was 10 leagues above that. So I'm finding my way, I'm reading the regulations, I'm, I'm, I'm interpreting them my way, and then seeing with, with my lens of experience how I would do it if I could. And so I was checking, I was like, am I right in believing that if I wanted to do it this way, I could? And they would be like, yes, you can. Yeah. So that's how we did it. So when you foster that relationship with your inspector, which is a no holds barred, if I get it wrong, you can tell me that's fine. And, uh, you know, yeah. that meant that when they came in, I would turn around and be very direct with them and say, right, here's everything that you've seen. What are you missing? Yeah. Mm. What can you not see that makes me this good or whatever in my head? And they would be like, well, you know, I need, I can't see any practice of um, collaborative working, for example. So I'd be like, actually, it's in that folder over there, section 15. They open the lever arch and I'd show them great examples of collaborative working. So it was there in the folder and sometimes you might have to lead them to it. But it's important to know what they're missing. Yeah. Mm, so asking yeah. those questions, isn't it? You asking know, those questions. Say, saying, you know, what, what is it you're missing out, you know, in terms of evidence? But that's it. It's that it, having that, fostering that relationship from the, it always goes back to the beginning again, which mm. is fostering that open relationship allows you to have these conversations with an inspector that is, that doesn't make, that makes you respectful, but fearless. Yeah. Mm, pretty good advice. I know, I know in, in previous episode we were talking to Kate Taroni and she was sort of saying, you know, we were talking about relationships with your inspector and, and mm. obviously their their workload and, and, you know, we were talking about kind of having, you know, providing information, you know, even if you know that you not, may not always get a response, but is that, that inspector knowing what you're doing and is that transparency that you're talking about that you're continually saying, you know, this is going well, this is not going so well, and this is what I'm doing about it, isn't it? You know, that you yeah, have, how, have that trans- transparency to say, well, things are not always going to go well. So How many managers are, are, are in communicate with their inspectors when it's anything good? Yeah. Right? What, what the, There are so many homes and services that still only communicate with the CQC when there's something bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Notifications of death. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, service notifications as they exist anyway. Yeah. Or an inspection. Mm-hmm. Or maybe a safeguarding because we still get safeguardings. Everyone does. So those are the only time you're talking. What's your narrative? What's your What's your legacy? What's you know? How are you perceived? Yeah. If you have the option of managing your perception. So why don't we manage our perception? Yeah. yeah. And it's that PR again, isn't it? And it's the same it's, thing, it's same thing with um getting, you know, um feedback from 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 stakeholders, from customers, you know, if they're happy with your service, make sure that the CQC are aware of that happiness, isn't it? You know, sh- sharing totally. that and, and CQC have a have a process of doing that, which is which is great. Especially with the new way that they're inspecting, which is all evidence-based. Yeah. So they are actively looking for for lacks of concern, if that makes any sense, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. They're looking for things to show them that things are going well somewhere. So yeah. guess what you can do? You can say, so for example, we do the website updates with all of the visiting that's existed over COVID and the regulations. Every time we update the website, 
I will email a copy of the text that I've written for the website, our Facebook and Instagram to our inspector and just say, hi there, just so you know, this is where we are at the moment. So they know that we are actively communicating with families. They can see that we're following the regulations. They can see what we're doing. And that level of fear that we are not following the rules or we're we're the the home that's not allowing visits or any of those sorts of things go right away yeah Yeah. it also shows that we're active we're well-led we're responsive and we're listening we're working all of the right messages we get to send to our inspector by doing one email and all i've done is copy and paste yeah not doesn't take long and I, I, one of the things that really stood out to me when I was reading your report or reports was there was so much, so many mentions of innovative practices. And we know that that's one of the characteristics of outstanding. And we also know that when we talk to managers, that's one of the things they find really difficult in terms of, you know, you know, what is it? What What is an innovative practice? You know, what is it? So how do you come up with ideas and how do you put them into practice, I suppose? That confidence to tear up the rule book, I think that's there. So the regulations are there. Absolutely. They're about making sure that people are kept safe. Yeah, We agree with that and we love that. But that entrenched behavior of this is how we've always done it. So this is what we do. It's you, that's the bit that you can change. Now we seem to live our whole lives and in social care, we then seem to come into work and sort of leave our life at the door. Mm. And we forget all about those wonderful experiences we just had. Um, So, you know, we took one of our activities team decided that they wanted to take the residents ice skating. And it's like, well, you can't do that. Well, why the hell not? You know, we we took the residents to a crocodile zoo farm (laughs) and they wanted to do that and they engage with it. They're like, God, this is the stuff that we used to do in our real lives. So why do we stop? Why do we stop giving those residences, those experiences? The other thing is we, so for example, I'm so blessed. I, you know, again, with my background, we used to go to all these amazing restaurants and have all these amazing food. And I know our residents lived lives of, of, going out, trying things, doing things that are different. So we make sure that we facilitate that. It's it's going out and seeing where you've had a real life experience and how you can translate that back into the care home um, and make it real and genuine rather than a um, pacified or placated version of it. Mm. which really upsets me because it's like, that's not authentic. So we, we, we strive for authenticity. Um, and also it's like, actually, well, that was a real good time. Why can't we do that for the, for the residents? Mm. So it's seeing everything that we do. And apparently that's innovative. So I suppose uh, I'm just sort of thinking, obviously you have a, you know, the people you're supporting are, are, you know, you know, elderly and and as you can say with dementia and Alzheimer's obviously we have listeners who are from lots of different types of services so I'm just sort of thinking about how can you transfer that because that innovative practice is the thing that comes up again and again how do I know that something is that and how do I put it into practice what's the right thing to do so I think what you're saying is it's about listening to what the people you're supporting are wanting and then making it real you know it's there's no 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 point kind of doing things sort of half-hearted or for the sake of outstanding you're doing you are doing things because that's what the outcome for those people are needed and that's um making it real for for them as you would for anybody else 
is that, completely. Is, is that I think a translation completely um, so let's say that you're whether you're a domiciliary care company um and or or you're a visiting professional uh, sorry not a visiting professional you're a visiting carer yeah. or you're in a care home let me give you a really small example we have a resident who loves puzzles right she lives with um both learning disabilities and um uh, dementia now she absolutely adores puzzles now this person has lived an entire life they're 60 years old when i came into the home she had a puzzle that was with dora the explorer <laughs> this is not the right puzzle for the right that individual yeah that, it, that yes it's got big pieces fabulous so they're able to hold them but it's the wrong thing for that individual so i know that that resident loves elvis so i went on to one of those photo printing websites yeah. and got a really nice big picture of elvis just one of those images from the web um from the internet put that on printed it made it a large scale one so it was designed to be able to be held nice and easily yeah and we gave them that so it's the right thing for that resident mm. that was what they considered innovative because we thought about that person so we do it now if we know somebody likes something along those sorts of lines we will find the right supplier and use suppliers that are not designed for care yeah yeah, yeah. um and give them the right way of living their life or enjoying it now it's such a small thing but is mm. that innovative or was that good practice but actually it's thinking outside of the box yeah. that we're not going to accept the ready made the option from toys r us yeah. yeah. we're totally person centered totally person centered yeah, and the right the right absolutely. thing for that person it's yeah. brilliant yeah um, just sort of kind of moving on and some some of the many innovative practices that are saw in your report and there were there were loads and i think if you're listening to this and you're intrigued do have a look at look, do have a look at the report it's always good to read somebody else's report but there was lots of information about um your work around lgbt and i know when we chatted before you were sort of saying you're really trying to raise the standards for personal care for older people with lgbt what are the things that why why is that important and what are the things that you think others can do as well So it's important to me as I identify on the spectrum so I am an out and proud gay man um I am also um BAME so I come from an ethnic minority I've got Indian heritage so the amount of exposure is just it just wasn't there and there was you know all those studies about people going back into the closet in the care home because they were worried how they were going to be perceived because those were the people that had outlawed their lives yeah right so it would and then it was the concern of carers who may not be fully in tune with one's you know who who may have different beliefs and different faiths and you may get treated badly the, what so the whole thing was just quite upsetting so knowing that and being quite uncomfortable with it we my first thing was to come out in the workplace um to both the staff and the residents so that they knew because being gay you still have to come out <laughs> almost every day mm-hmm. um but to come out to the residents and guess what we learned the residents don't give two hoots they don't care yeah. Yeah. and they don't they don't care because they've seen it all they're 80 90 years old they have been there <laughs> they have seen that they they've known people plus you know it, it, they they're not bothered about who i wake up with they're bothered about whether their day is better. So, mm. once you take that fear out of it, you realize that 
it's sometimes that messaging to the LGBTQ plus community that it's actually it's in it's in our brains. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big thing of it. But the other thing was helping this the the team to be able and providing that safe space to ask those questions that they may not have. So we recruited a lot of staff members, um, team members from Eastern Europe. And obviously they, you know, a lot of people from Eastern Europe are Catholic. They hold very strong faith. Um, they may not be, they may not have had that ever safe space to ask the questions that challenge um, their way of thinking. So if we provided that in a way that was caring, compassionate, and they knew that they weren't going to get in trouble for asking those, and we facilitated those. So we did sessions and we would ask really hard questions. We're like, great. So you've got someone called, you know, you've got a resident called Bob and tomorrow they want to identify as Barbara. Um, and then the day after they want to be Bob again, you know, how are you going to deal with it? And they're like, we don't have an idea. And so you talking through it and letting them know that there is not necessarily a right answer. Well, there is a right answer, but in, in, in the sense that it's a fluid progression of understanding and you can support them through that. And they're not going to be blamed for not knowing what to do. Yeah. They have the right to ask and put their hands up and say, please help me. Yeah. And I don't know what to do. Give, I don't know how to deal with this situation. Mm. Absolutely. So we would empower our team with knowledge um, and confidence that they're allowed to not know how to handle a situation. Mm. And they responded really, really well to that. So where we've had residents that identify, we 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 know that they've had a good good experience with us. Yeah. Is there any other advice you could give to any care service that perhaps is not even started thinking about this what what's the thing that they should start thinking about what's the best practice they could bring in um other than the why have you not started thinking about it? <laughs> yeah <laughs> um <laughs> uh the first thing is review the way that you train right. really review the way that you train is your training fit for purpose um and that's is it designed for your team and mm-hmm. your team's knowledge your team's understanding if i had to care home in Brighton or in Soho, I would have a very different training to a team that was in, I don't know, Milford Haven in Wales, mm-hmm. right? It's it's a different environment. They're surrounded by different things. They see different things and they know different things. So first of all, what do your team know and understand and how can I provide them with the right level of knowledge designed for where they're starting? What's their starting mm-hmm. point? You know, there's no point me me putting someone through such a patronizing training if they are if they already they know knowledge. it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly. really good advice. Yeah. So um, kind of look, at, look at your staff team. What what do they know at the moment, and then train train them to ha- to feel comfortable. Isn't I suppose mm-hmm. as well, and then feel com- confidence to ask questions if they don't know. A really good way to do that we found is something called a round table. We do roundtables for CEOs and execs and, you know, head office workers. They'll have like working lunches with sandwiches, <laughs> yeah. right? You've been there. Yeah. Now, what's really interesting is why do we not, why, why are we not upskilling and treating our carers and nurses and maintenance people, whoever in the service, our, 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 our frontline workers in that way? Do so rather than this three hour boring training session in your cinema or your staff room, whatever it is. Have you thought about holding a, a set of 30 minute, 40 minute quick round tables? And yes, 
up, give them a bit of a zhuzh. You know, you've got, if you do a, a nice little sandwich platter, a couple of soft drinks on the table, jugs of whatever, these people come down, you sit down, you have a discussion about one subject. So let's mm. say we're going to pick um, trans needs. Now, that doesn't mean that that one 30-minute session is the be-all and end-all of that thing, but actually to, it's a discussion group around it. You can pose a question, see how different people respond, and it's peer-to-peer learning. Mm. And peer-to-peer learning in those situations, you've got, you can mix up your experience levels. Somebody might say, actually, this is, I've seen this, this is my friend. They identify. Yeah. It yeah. creates a conversation, and that is a qualified training. Yeah, absolutely. Because there wasn't a PowerPoint, yeah. it doesn't mean it no. wasn't a training, you know? <laughs> Exactly. exactly. And I completely agree with you. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you about was um, you've recently become part of the Outstanding Society. Um, what is the Standing Society and why have you sort of become involved with that? The out- Ironically, it's that peer-to-peer network, yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. The Outstanding Society is, is a group of providers who have received the outstanding result. And previously, it was only for Outstanding. It was a closed group. Um Zoe Fry and Alan and the team, Russell there, and the team have done an amazing job um, at opening it up and deciding that it's a group of outstanding providers that want to share the learnings that we have with the whole industry. So whether you're on your journey up or you're static or you're there, it's about what can, what have we done? What have you done? And it's, it's that peer to peer learning. Um, And they're just going from strength to strength. Um, So they have their weekly, sorry, their monthly calls, on the third Thursday of every month and they're completely free. And, you know, we have this year, we've got Kate Taroni, Deborah Sturdy, Martin Green. It's really headline stuff. It's, um, and, and I know that we have, join. anyone can join yeah. and it's completely free. Yeah. And there's, there's no sense of responsibility. There's blogs on the website. Um, it's just a really great space to learn. And the best thing about care is plagiarize steal the ideas Mm. take them from people and these people are giving them away so we're sitting there going this is how i did it take it because if Mm. you do good we do good like Mm. we all get better our our, the whole industry levels up and everyone improves so peer-to-peer learning and good practice sharing is is something you're really passionate about by the sound of it oh absolutely didn't you Sorry, I was just going to, haven't you set up um, a chef club for care home chefs in your local area as part of that? Yes, because again, that's part of the thing that I know in terms of food. I get food, I understand it and I understand the importance. So it was really important that um, when, you know, the idsy and the texture modification was coming in properly, that people weren't left behind. And again, my logic is, is that, again, if we do, if we look good and you look good, we all look better, yeah. right? Social care has a has a, has had an issue previously about how we're perceived. So if we're all perceived a lot better, we're all going to look, look, look well in terms of the whole, you know, and finally, we might not be considered, you know, the NHS is poorer, younger brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so helping people making sure that they get it so yes so we would invite chefs in from the whole of Oxfordshire and we've got no problems in sharing and we would organize um providers uh, not providers sorry suppliers to come in and show people maybe a new tool how to use it how to use it effectively and also just for the chefs to learn and meet each other because a lot of the problem is again that training thing what how do we train our chefs 
Yeah. Right. When was the last so important, time? Isn't it? Yeah. It's deeply critical yeah. to to successful care. So you know, we we think about training our nurses and training our carers and manual handling and you know the best i think most care homes they stop at your um, food health and hygiene mm. right so we what we like to do is take our chefs out okay. now i'm not expecting them to be able to knock up a um a heston blumenthal style <laughs> experiential dinner for the residents but taking them to a really fantastic new restaurant and saying, this is really good food. Now, what have you learned? How can we do it? We'll only engage them and motivate them to try something new for the residents. Mm, and again, mm. if it go, if it doesn't work, that's fine. How many dinners have you burnt it or, or, you know, cooked and then, Oh, I could have done something better, but we're not giving them the chance. So it's about reviewing everything. always. Thanks. Really good idea. Yeah. I know you're, we've heard an introduction that you're the closest multi-award winning uh, and, you know, just a couple of months ago, we won Small Residential Home of the Langbushan Awards. Why do you enter awards? And you mentioned awards when you were talking about your experience in, in, in previous industry. What, why do you enter? Several. So first, it makes a huge motivational impact in the home. Mm. The spirit, the the the... the, the the chest puffing, walking around, pride is brilliant. And, you know, they say pride does come before a fall, but the, you know, the, the people, they just, they they appreciate it. They like feeling valued. And it's a, it's an external gratification process. One, the residents like it makes them feel secure in their choices of living with us. Um, for future residents, it's a great marketing tool. Yeah. It really is. It's like a, it's a multi-blade um it's a swiss army knife of 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 recognition yeah um so it's it's a lot of things to a lot of different people and sometimes where it's just for one person so you know even that nomination you know we had our head housekeeper or head of hotel services you know she's been with us 18 years never had anything a couple of years ago she was nominated at the nationals for you know best housekeeper now she didn't win um, she's a winner in our eyes, but she didn't win it. But the fact that she was all dolled up, we went into London. She had the best time. Yeah. And that level of recognition, I can't pay for. Yeah. yeah. So you'd recommend to other managers they think about it, would you? Totally, totally. And remember, you know, this isn't, this is obviously a completely factual base, but where's the sell? Yeah. You know, where's the story? If you've got head office teams, you know, is there a marketing person or somebody that helps write the bids for when you're working with a local authority that can support you? Um, but it's a story, the same way that we tell stories to, to, to evidence something. We are telling a journey of what, so you're, you're really marketing to the judges. Now, some of them will be just paper-based. Some of them will have visits. Yeah. into your home some of them will ask you to record videos and and answer questions so they're all completely different and each one of them has a has a different purpose um it's also great if you're like us like i said we're a single home and we're trying to grow um getting in front of the banks the you know the lenders yeah, um and industry as a whole yeah. That's great. Um, we always have something we call our time for care slot in every episode. So what's your most time-saving tip that you can share with others? To, 
it's a, it's a double-edged sword with this one as sort of everything always is i'm so sorry uh one is time sort of time blocking mm-hmm. um and sort of looking at your day from the beginning and making sure that you're dedicating time to certain things and yes maybe closing your door you know open door policy and all of that but sometimes you need to close that door to get yeah. something done we uh, care is measured on its responsiveness so sometimes we think we have to do everything right away mm. it's about learning how to prioritize in my mind mm. so that's where time blocking comes in it's like i have dedicated this amount of time to deal with it is the building going to burn down because i don't answer this call right away no yeah. mm. um so there's a there's making sure that you get things done because you've dedicated the right time now and do you tell part- everybody that that time is blocked out you yeah, put a sign I, on the door type thing or you know block time out in your calendar everybody can see or yes I, I do that a lot i block time out in my calendar yeah. um and my calendar is accessible to the whole of my team which is yeah. really important because this is the next bit which is empowerment mm. really empowering your team by having the right people doing the right things knowing that they may not get it right but will not be in a huge amount of trouble yeah for doing something and i think that that lack of fear around empowerment is critical so so if i've got an empowered team and i'm not available they can make the call yeah mm-hmm. so because i blocked my time off i'm not available i'm working in london and i'm going to sit there and i'm going to fire off the new pages for the new website but in the meantime if they need to make a decision they are empowered to do so they are empowered mm-hmm. to try and it it means that whilst i may disagree with them later um or ask them a question as to why that was their thought process or whatever it doesn't mean that they're in trouble for making those calls and that's what's really important so empowerment alongside time blocking or boxing depending it's yeah. people have different words for it putting that together will give you so much more time to get everything done yeah thanks that's really helpful um well, you've shared so many top tips already with us, but our final um, thought is if we can imagine that we're in a lift and we're on the 10th floor going down, before people get out, you want to tell them what you think is most important. So of all the things that you've said, what would you leave um, with the listener as your key messages? Sleep at night. <laughs> Great one. <laughs> Everything you do, make sure that the, the the end goal is that you feel that you have made all of the right choices that you have done everything the right way that you feel comfortable to go home and rest and sleep at night because that means that your conscience is clear that you have done an effective job you've done it in a well in a in the safe way and it, you you know you're focused on what means the best for the residents yeah and as soon as you do that you can go away for that one week-long holiday and not need to constantly be scared that there's a fire in the building. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. That's good advice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Goodness. That was so many, so many amazing things you told yeah. and I'm sure really useful for the listeners to hear. So thanks so much for your time, Tanya. It's been amazing. Uh, and, you know, yeah, just thank you. Yeah, thank you for so much. much. <laughs> thanks for the opportunity. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.
So that was our com- conversation with Sanjay. What a conversation. Yeah, wow. <laughs> he had so many useful things to say, didn't he? Yeah, and I think just uh, his passion, how he's really caught the social mm. care bug. You know, he mm. had clearly kind of come into the service for that three months period and then, you know, he's not going to let go, is he? And I just love the way he used his experience from hotel management and event management yeah. and, and used those skills to really see the people he's supporting as, as his as his customers um, yeah. as these people here that he's he's there to support and find the very best he can do for them mm. i just thought it was incredible and i really really loved his description on of his um outstanding or his win folder i think he called it didn't yes he? his win folder um, yeah his win folder, which at first i thought what does he mean by that but then i got it uh, you know yeah. I, you know these are the, are, the, are the wins of the of the service for the, for the people they're supporting um skills for care have very recently um created what they call the inspection toolkit which i think would be really helpful for anybody planning or looking at the having an inspection soon a cqc inspection soon so the toolkit was very interactive got lots of recommendations examples resources just to meet those cqc inspect uh, expectations when you are having an inspection and you can filter you can either look at all of it or you can filter into the type of service that you're managing your care home disability supported living home care um, you can also filter by the chloe's so if you're really wanting to look at um well-led you can do that and then you can even filter on the type of type of information you would like so there's case studies uh there's films of manager talking about their certain services and how they've managed a particular part of that, those chloe's lots of additional reading resources from uh, health and safety executives nice sky lots of templates that other managers have provided very generously provided just so much so much useful stuff and even a search part of it so if you're looking for something very specific um then you can kind of just search for that and everything will come up so you know really really good good uh, resource for people to use if they're if they're having an CQC inspection soon i like yeah and i like the design of it it's much easier to find things isn't it it's, it's really yeah, nice nicely laid absolutely. out lots there and the other thing I really like about it is, well, they um, if you there's a case study of somebody, you know, who have done something specific, um, then he has a link to the uh, CQC inspe- uh, inspection for um, inspection report. Um, so you can kind of look a bit more, find out a bit more about that. So, so if somebody somebody's 